Welcome to Highlawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We're so glad you've decided to join us, and now we invite you to grab your Bible, if you're able, as we pray that you will be blessed by the preaching of the truth of God's Word today. Go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to the book of... 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and there were a couple of things as I was studying up on this that that were convicting to me. The first is how far that we've come as Baptists, as a people of faith, and the reason is the people that, that we split off from, the Puritans, when it came to Thanksgiving, um, the, the mythology of the American experience is that when the Puritans landed on Plymouth Rock and they had made friends with the native population of that particular colony, I know that that's a checkered history, but in this case, it was true that they had a, a treaty of friendship with them that sustained them for close to a half a century. That they sat around a giant table and that they had turkey and trimmings and all that There are several problems with this image, and that was Thanksgiving. First of all, they were coming from England. They didn't really know what a turkey was. They had deer, more often than not. The second thing was Puritans, unlike Baptists, they don't eat gigantic meals when they give thanks. They eat gigantic meals in terms of fellowship, But in times of Thanksgiving, Puritans more often than not will declare a three-day fast. See, we already have benefits of not being Puritans anymore. And they wouldn't wear all black clothing with metal buckles because that was a sign of pride. They would, in fact, have dressed down for the occasion. They would have subjected themselves to, uh, to, to prayer, penitence, fasting, and all that. Puritanism, by definition is the fear that somewhere, someplace, somebody is having fun. Baptists, on the other hand, came about because one day a Puritan, while reading from the lectionary scripture, came across the passage, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say... And he realized that component of who we are was missing from their lives. What gave birth to the Baptist faith and message was nothing less than realizing that the celebration of the love of God and the fostering of a close, intimate, personal relationship with Him was a central point to who we are as Christians. That's the heritage that is yours to claim. The celebration and worship of the things of God. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. So as we enter His gates with thanksgiving in our hearts and His courts with praise as we are commanded to do, as we go boldly before the throne of grace to make our petitions known that we may similarly receive grace in our hour of darkest need, let us always remember that celebration and thanksgiving go hand in hand that there is in fact a discipleship that goes along with thanksgiving. That dedicating ourselves to God does not mean that we live in drudgery. People, Christians were not called to be miserable. Christians were not called to be a people who lived in deep, dark depression. This is an unfortunate mishap that came about centuries ago that it is our place to correct. This is what the Apostle Paul said. And again, I would remind you that Paul was somebody, if there were any of the apostles that were a staunch religious nut, it would have been Paul. Paul was a Pharisee. In fact, he claimed his past life as being the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was someone that lived by strict obedience to the law, that drove out every semblance of joy in his life, that in fact became so contented with the worship of Torah more than the worship of God, 
that he went out to persecute and to kill those that didn't share his point of view. In fact, the first church, as it was beginning to crystallize, was persecuted by him to the point that they were being put to death on his watch. He was sent out as a terrorist in the midst of Israel to hunt down the Jesus followers of the way and to put them to death in the name of God. Until one great and glorious day, the God who he thought that he served turned out to be not the God that actually was. And one day as he was going to fulfill another mission to kill more Christians, he saw blinding light. He fell to his knees. And the real God of the universe, the real Savior and Messiah of Israel, called to him, Paul, why persecute me? And from that point on, his life was marvelously and wondrously changed from being someone who worshipped the law to being someone who joyously worshipped God. Someone whose magnificent intellect was put to use, redeemed for the work of Scripture and for the announcing of the love of God and of God's place in our lives. The single person to write more in the New Testament than any other contributor. And he writes to us today, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, he's talking about a work that they're doing together. A work to be a supplier of mercy to, uh, uh, to the Holy Land, to the people of Judea who at this time are in a severe famine. So all the churches in the Mediterranean are giving to the work of ministry. They, they are voluntarily piling gold, silver, food, whatever they can find, to send back to the homeland, so to speak, to make sure that those early Christians had something. This is the first cooperative movement among Christians. And this is Paul's discipleship to a church engaged in these operations. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting with verse 12. When you get there in your copy of God's Word, please say amen. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and to lead you in the Lord and admonish you and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everybody. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything. I want you to notice how closely Paul ties all of the, disciple, uh, all of the disciplines of the Christian life with praise and thanksgiving. Give thanks in everything, in all situations, in sorrows and in triumphs, in illness and in wellness, in destitution and in wealth. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word this morning. Gratitude is not simply a thing that, that we do once a year. In fact, when we come before the table of Thanksgiving with our families and we see the bird, what is the first thing that we think of at any other time of the year? What is the one thing that you think of when you hear the word Thanksgiving? Some of you are laughing right now because you know what it is and it has nothing to do with the praise of God. It has everything to do with drooling over a giant roast bird at the center of a large table. Amen? And that's something that we love to do. We love to feast in celebration, but what are we celebrating? That's the thing that often dogs us as being part of this kind of commercial society in which we live. The thing that we come to celebrate when we, when we should, uh, the thing that we should think about when we hear the word Thanksgiving is not the roast bird, but it's the Bible, it's the biblical I'm sorry, there's an old Baptist joke in there that I'll share with you. 
where there is the reading of the word, there must also be the eating of the bird. Amen. <laughs> and that's, that's the gag that's popping up in my mind right now. See, this is why I used to script my sermons. But what should be underneath the meal is the praise. What should be underneath what we do in this time of year is not just that we set aside one day and we heap up all this stuff that all of a sudden we have to remember on that one Thursday in November. No, praise and thanksgiving is something that we should practice on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day, prayer-by-prayer basis. And when we come to His courts with praise, remember, we're not just celebrating a family feast. God is there. And what we do when we hold hands around the table and we lift our voices in prayer and we give thanks for the bounty, we also need to give thanks for the God who supplied all of our needs according to His riches and glory. Not just the food, but the money that helped to pay for the food. Not just being around the table, but the family that we're around the table with. Not just the fact that we're part of that particular family, but that we can come into rooms like this. We can lift our voices in praise and thanksgiving together. We have a family that is not bound by the last names that we carry with us on our birth certificates. We're a part of a family called the church. Give thanks. It's part of who we are as Christians. In the book of Nehemiah, when they're finishing the walls of Jerusalem, when they're rededicating the temple of God, when they open the scroll and they announce who God is, who God has been in the past, the God that delights in the making and keeping of promises to His children, when they recall God's faithfulness, the people's hearts gathered around them begin to break and shatter because they realize that God has kept His end of the bargain and they haven't. And that they have sinned before a holy God, a God who sent them into exile just a few years beforehand so that they would remember Him and His righteousness. And they started to weep, but the work was not yet finished. So the prophet uh, Ezra gets in front of them after reading the law that convicted their hearts. And he says, weep not. Go to your homes. The work is continuing, but look at all that you've done. Give thanks. For the joy of the Lord is what? It's our strength. Quench not the Holy Spirit. But in everything, give thanks and remembrance in celebration and joy of what He has done for you. Gratitude is a core virtue of Christian conduct. The difference, one of the hallmark differences between a Christian and a non-Christian, between someone who's regenerate and someone who is non-regenerate, is the fact that we realize that this is not a work that we have done on our own. That the only reason that anything worth doing has been done is because of God's planning, God's inspiration, and God's strength. Amen? It's also the antidote against the sin of pride, which is the foundation of all other sin. When we give thanks, we recognize verbally and in our hearts, the fact that it is not us. In fact, it's not about us. It's all about Him. His honor, His glory, the proclamation of His love, the spreading of His gospel. It's an antidote to pride. It's also a foundational element of worship. Enter His gates with thanksgiving in your hearts. Enter His courts with praise. All, every hymn that's ever been written. Every time that we gather for a worship service, in prayer and in singing, one thing that we can acknowledge that went into the writing of all of it is thanksgiving. I just quoted Amazing Grace a little while ago. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. But who brought me this far? His grace. What will lead me home? His grace when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We have no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. It's also a hallmark of Christian devotion. You want to identify a Christian from a non-Christian? See how thankful they are. You want to see a Christian who's backsliding? See how proud they are. It's a hallmark of who, the, who we are as a regenerate people. 
It's also the basis for ministry. We do not work to become saved. We work because we are saved. We give through our, through our presence, through our gifts, through our prayers, through our acts of service, through all the things that we come together to present to God as a living sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice of praise, adoration, and thanks. Not because of, of what we're doing to meet His needs, because a holy God doesn't need for anything. It's what we do out of, out of the generosity that He gave within us through His example. Render yourselves as a sacrifice of praise. It's the basis for all Christian ministry. Praise and thanksgiving for salvation, for the work of redemption, through the regenerate power of the Holy Spirit which is within us. If you even think about what you have to be grateful for as a people of God, it will fill volumes. Much less what we have is individual blessings. It's also a preventative step against the temptation, against all temptation and sin. You want, to, you, want, you want to escape the temptation of greed? Remember and celebrate what you've been given already. You want, a temptation, you want an antidote to the temptation of lust? Be thankful and celebrate the partner that God has given you and the love you have for him. You want an antidote to the temptation of, of jealousy, of envy, of anger. Be glad that you have a God in your life that will continue to meet all of your needs according to His riches and glory. Gratitude is a requirement of the Christian condition. This is how David writes his own instructions through the hymnal of the Bible, the book of Psalms. To the wicked, God says, What right have you to tell me of my statutes and to take my covenant in your mouth. For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you are pleased with him. He's talking about the, the hypocrites in Israel, the people who claim to love God and yet they're denying him with their works. You associate with adulterers. You let your mouth loosen evil and your tongue, uh, your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's tongue. So he's talked about greed. He's talked about slander. He's talked about gossiping. He's talked about bearing false witness. He's talked about basically the hallmarks of an unregenerate life. But he gives this instruction. These things you have done, and, and I have kept silence. You thought that I was just like you. But I will reprove you, and I will state the case in order before your eyes. So just like the society that we live in today, David's argument on behalf of the voice of God is simply this. You think that because I love you as a people, and because I haven't let the hammer fall right now, even though you're disobedient to me, you think that just because I've been merciful that I've been approving. When the truth is, I have withheld judgment from you because I love you, but now I've taken all I can take. God does not suspend His righteousness out of love. A perfect God can also be perfectly loving, but that's another sermon. His judgment does come. I will reprove you and state the case in order before your eyes. Now consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you to pieces and there will be none to deliver you. He who offers a sacrifice of what? See, this is the hallmark to those who are faithful to God. When you consult the hypocrite versus the true believer, when you have to divine in front of you who is that who is actually regenerate and who is just paying lip service to the king, he who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. And to, to him who orders his way aright, I shall show the salvation of God. You want to tell the difference between someone who should be in church leadership and someone that shouldn't? Measure their thanksgiving. How well do they adhere to thanksgiving? Because finally in that list of everything that gratitude signifies in Scripture, the most important is that it is a step of obedience to God. God is honored through thanksgiving. 
are part of the relationship that we have with him. It's not a one-sided relationship. Our part of the relationship with him that nurtures that, that helps to develop the communion between us and the Holy Spirit, that helps to strengthen the bond that we have with our Creator, is our obedience in giving thanks and praise. It is a step of obedience. David also writes, It is good to praise the Lord, to make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music. Incidentally, that's a mistranslation. The, the more accurate translation would be to the ruckus of music, to the loud music, to the music that is boisterous, to the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. For you made me glad by your deeds, O Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. How great are your works, Lord. How profound are your thoughts. How do we give thanks to God? Yes, by sitting around the table and by celebrating Him, incidentally. Make sure that that's what you do when you gather around the table. That you're not just there to celebrate the bird, but you're there to celebrate God. You're fasting in the presence of the Almighty, giving praise, honor, and glory for everything He's done for you. This is His desire for us. One, so that we will be in a deeper heartier relationship with Him, and also to prevent us from being exposed to that which would strain that relationship with, from Him. So, in considering thanksgiving to God, when we go around the table, remember always, what do we have to be thankful for? Well, among others, in the very lightest of lists, we have, our, of course, our food, our provision, life's essentials. We have the basics of living to be thankful for. And to also remember that there are many that live in our community that don't, which is why we need to participate out of Thanksgiving in making sure that those basic essentials are enjoyed by all. We have salvation and sanctification to be thankful for. We are the children of God, the inheritors of the kingdom of heaven, as we talked about in our Revelation study. What do we have to fear? For God Himself deems us righteous because He sees the righteousness of His only begotten Son put on our account. But that's also out of thanksgiving for His gift to us that we need to be compelled into the work of missions and evangelism to not only bring the mercy of God to others, but the story of the love of God as well. We have the joy that is without end. Remember the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness can be taken away. Joy cannot we also have the peace of mind that passes all understanding. Remember that Jesus himself says, my peace I give you, not peace as the world gives. Because that can be, like happiness, can be taken away. But the shalom of God is left with you through the power of the Holy Spirit to sustain you through all of life's circumstances. Hope and love. There is no challenge that you will face in this life that God has not already planned for to overcome. And the fact that you are also in a personal relationship with He who is the author of all that is true love means that you can be loved by others in that truth and that you can share love in truth. And of course, you have both your family at home and your family here. For in the presence of the people of God, joys are multiplied, sorrows are divided. How often do we give thanks? I know of at least one time that all of us can claim that we did give thanks to God. How do I know that? Because I used to drive in Ohio. If there's one time that we can all admit that we've given praise and thanks to God, it's when they've missed plowing into us by that much. But is that the only time that we say, thank God. We should say it every hour, every day, with the realization of every blessing. Every meal and every gift of God's provision, when we see that a bill gets paid, or we see that there's food on the plate in front of us, we need to give thanks and praise. Every reflection on the old self, thank God He has released me from that person that I used to be. 
Because if we don't do that, we'll get burdened down by guilt and by shame. God does not offer shame. He offers a conviction to change. He offers energy that compels us to do something different, but He doesn't shame us. Remember, the difference between shame and conviction is that one paralyzes. The devil wants you to be in shame because it stops you from working. It puts a shackle upon you that you can't break out of on your own. He wants you to live in shame. But praise and thanksgiving, because you're a regenerate person outside of the person you used to be, it breaks those chains, it removes the shackles, it unlocks the soul. It allows the conviction of the Holy Spirit to take root in your heart to compel you to be something beyond who you know yourself to be. Give thanks on every reflection, every remembrance of the old self. And every experience of happiness, every time that you smile, every time that that a good thought passes through your head, every time that you look into the eyes of people that you love, and you have that blessing, and you have that privilege to be around that table with the people that mean something to you, praise God for that. Every new salvation expression. It is said in the Bible that every time a new name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that all the angels in chorus break out in song. Remember that. When you doubt who you are in the kingdom of God, or where the enemy tries to tell you that you're not worth it, remember that the moment that you went to that altar, the moment that you declared, your, that you declared to God that you're a sinner, in that instant, not only were you forgiven and made a child of the King, not only were you indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God, but every angel in chorus shouted praise to God because a new child of the King was born. That's a reason to celebrate. And every challenge and danger. Now this is something that we don't always think about. Do you praise God when you're declared sick? Do you praise God when you enter into the hospital? Do you praise God when something doesn't happen that you want to happen? Do you praise God at the challenge? Now, we are taught in discipleship, or at least we should be, that in all of life's circumstances, we need to give thanks and praise. Why? Because the God who is with you right now has already been there in the future. Whatever challenge you're facing right now, He is not ignorant of. He's already worked itself out somehow. He's already worked it out for you. All that we have to do is sit back, listen to His will, be convicted by His strength, and go forth in His power. Whatever it is, God has already worked the challenge out, and there's an opportunity in that challenge. Praise God for that challenge. Because He will overcome. Because He will overcome. How do we give thanks? Now this is pretty easy. So it's a shorter list. We give thanks by prayer and by singing. By giving praise. As we just did a little bit earlier. We give thanks to God by offering gifts and service. By the good works that we do. Both of giving of our resources and the contributing of our talents, our time, and our strength. We share our testimony with others, and that's a big one. Because if you are, because the practice of gratitude leads you in comfort to the ability to let others know what God has done in your life. And through that sharing, that's how we evangelize. It's not about putting yourself on a pedestal. It's about saying, I was the sinner. I was the broken. I was the person in pain. But it was God who rescued me from that. It was God who transformed me through all of life's circumstances. It was God who took me out of the depravity of this world and made me a child of the King. It was His work that did it. And praise be to God that through that all I became a child of the King. That's enough to make any Baptist shout. Sharing of testimony is a way that we offer thanks and praise to Him. Now the question I want to ask you is, how vocal are we in the giving of thanks? Do we pick one at the exclusion of the others? Or do we make sure that we fully embrace what thanksgiving really means? We do give thanks and praise in our private devotional time, or at least we should. Every time we wake up, every time we go to sleep, just as we read in the Psalms, we should give thanks to God 
for every life circumstance that passes through that day, knowing one, that they're provision of God, knowing two, that God provi God's provision is still there to get us through that challenge. Are we willing to be vocal about His thanks and praise in public, which points others to God and the faithfulness of God, that there is a God who is willing to save, that there is a God who extends hope, that there is a God who loves? More importantly, in everything give praise. We read that in the writings of Paul. Do we take it as face value? Do we live in the constant awareness that God is right beside us? That no matter what we're going through, that God is right here. That He's already planned it, that He's already provided strength for it, and that He's going to get you through it. One of the things that is the blessing and the benefit of thanksgiving is it reminds us that God's presence is always there. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with Praise, give thanks to Him and praise His holy name for the Lord is good and His love, His mercy endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. This is a challenging bit of discipleship because it calls us out of the regular piece of human nature. The fallen nature tells us that we need to do it on our own. That we should decline in asking for help. That we shouldn't make a big to-do about what God has done for us. There's nothing further from the truth. God wants us. You have not because you ask not. Every time that we realize that we can't do it alone, we experience a biblical truth. Human nature says that shouldn't be the case. Godly nature says we need Him. Every decision, every activity, every breath we take, we need Him. Human nature says I shouldn't speak out loud. I need to bow my head and move on and not attract attention to myself. The, the, the resurrected nature says no, in everything we need to point to God. And everything that we do, whether in word or deed, do as unto the Lord. That's the Bible. So whatever we do, it needs to point to Him. The challenge is how do we express our thanksgiving? Reflecting God's love back to Him in the presence of others. Write that down. The challenge and the definition of public thanksgiving. Reflecting God's love back to Him in the presence of others. We do that in prayers through acts of devotion. Our private time, our quiet time, when we reflect on the day that we hope to have and we reflect on the day that we have experienced. And where in the quietness of our rooms we seek to understand how God was there, knowing for a fact that He was. A devotion isn't merely opening up one of those little books, reading a passage of Scripture, reading a cute little story, saying the prayer that's printed down. That's a guide. That's why they call them devotional guides. But what you actually need to do in your own devotional time with those guides, is as you're meditating on that piece of Scripture, I want you, and, and looking at the story of the person writing to you, you need to see, just as that person wrote down in their testimony to you, you need to understand how God has impacted your day in a similar fashion. That's what devotional time is. That's what it means. It's not just the reading. It's integrating. How has God been present in my day? That's what true devotion is through prayers, through presence, on the other hand, in worship. 
Presence in thanksgiving means that you expose yourself to others. Now please understand that I don't mean every connotation that that sentence may suggest. I know that David once danced naked in front of Jerusalem. I'm not recommending that here. What I am recommending is that we concentrate on being an active participant in the family of God. That out of our recognition for everything that God has done for us, we're here as part of the family. We're sharing the blessings that He's given to us. The blessings that He's designed you specifically to bring. Each and every one of you has been gifted by God and designed by Him to bring a specific blessing into the house of worship. And when you skip out on worship, you deny others the blessing that He has created you to bring, and you deny yourself the blessing that God has, has given the others to bring to you. We need each other. We worship in thanksgiving by coming together. We are disobedient when we choose for convenience's sake to deny ourselves that blessing and to deny the blessing of others. Let me say that again without apology. Unless we have an illness, unless we have a known danger, unless we have a certainty that means that we put ourselves or those that we love at risk, we are disobedient to the Holy Scripture if we deny ourselves the presence of being part of the family of God to present that blessing of praise that we have been designed to bring and to receive the blessing that God has promised us through the rest of our church family. Rebuking not... This is in the Bible. A lot of people argue it's not there, but this commandment is in the Bible. Through the pen of the brother of Christ himself, rebuking not the gathering of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing, but all the more so as you see the day approaching. Every year that passes by, the closer we get to the day of the Lord, means that we should be here more often, not less. That's the commandment of Scripture. Through our prayers, through our presence, through our service, which means in discipleship, we come into places like this to learn more about God, to learn more about our relationship with Him, to experience His presence in our lives, His, His ability to transform us into the people that we need to be, and also to subject ourselves to doing the work of the ministry too. To spreading the fellowship. To encourage others to do the work of missions. To be the comfort to those who desperately need it. To when the time goes, when the time is called, when that divine appointment hits, to be the person that shares the gospel with someone who doesn't know it. Folks, we, we have this bad habit of believing that everybody knows about the gospel because this is West Virginia. Everybody's heard of Christ. I used to be able to bring comfort to some people in the hospital by asking them, what biblical character do you identify with in this situation? Could be Paul, could be Job. Someone who's going through a hard time, it could be the leper. Could be Lazarus. What biblical character do you identify with? And, and I've been at this for 14 years now. And in 14 years, I went from being able to do that with almost every visit to now being greeted by a bunch of shrugs because right now, hardly anyone knows their Bible. We need to know it. They don't have the exposure to it. We need to guess what? Bring it to them. Because they're not going to get it any other way. You cannot take for granted anymore that they know that Christ is there to save them. Out of thanksgiving and praise to God, we need to be the messengers of reconciliation. And it could be here in the, it could be here in the church house that we serve. It could be as the teacher downstairs that we serve. It could be as the worshiper up here that we serve. It could be as a minister being trained up to move somewhere else that we serve. It could be as someone who, who gives and who works downstairs in the kitchen, who, who takes food to the St. Albans Food Bank. It could be in any of those capacities. But the point is that we serve. There can be no lack of participation in a Baptist church. Part of what we believe is the priesthood of all believers, meaning that all of us are a priest of God, which means we need to do our work.
together. It's the only way a Baptist church can function. And through our gifts, our prayers, our presence, our service, and our gifts. Our prayers, our presence, our service, and our gifts. Meaning that yes, we tithe our money. In my in my award-winning sermon the same time last year, the Sermon on the Count, I reminded you that stewardship is a discipline of the Christian faith and that we need to be faithful to the work of ministry through our resources, through our time, through our talents, through our strength, through everything that God has given us We owe some back to Him. That is constant throughout Scripture. Contributing to the work of the ministry. Sometimes it's in giving, and sometimes it is in the work itself. This is the passage that is almost always cited through that. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me on this says the Lord God Almighty. And I've already covered that in the past two sermons, but I want to remind you that it's there. Highlight that, underline it, circle it, put Christmas tree lights around it in your copy of God's Word, whatever you have to do to make sure that you remember that it's there. Test me on this, says the Lord God Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that what? There will not be enough room to store it. Do you believe in the power of God or in His faithfulness or not? Acts of thanksgiving include expressions of faithfulness to God. We've talked about that. The truest form of praise to God. It is a return on God's investment on us. We don't normally talk about this, but here it is. If God entrusts something to you, Just like the parable of the talents, God expects a return from His investment. And that could be in His spiritual gifts that He grants you. It could be in the amount of resources that He gives you in this life. It could be in the various knowledges that you are blessed with through training and through work experience. It could be the strength of just being able to pick up a pipe wrench somewhere and help out. But whatever it is, if God has put it in you, God expects it to be used also for His work. Knowing this, that that work is rewarded. Now, there are a bunch of people out there that erroneously believe that that is a passage in the Old Testament that is not repeated in the New. That tithes are something from the past. That offerings are something from the past. That that's something that we don't need that's going to scare off the flock. It is a discipline of the Christian faith. And here it is in the New Testament for those that scoff at that. This is again from the Apostle Paul. We talked about one church that he was writing to in the times of destitution in the Holy Land. Here he's writing to another church in about the same time period, but one that is not quite as faithful. This is his instruction for those that withhold from the work of the ministry. The the Corinth church was wealthy. They were the big church. They were the well-moneyed church. They were the church with so many programs they couldn't keep it all straight themselves. They had the large bank account. Thessalonica didn't. Thessalonica was the small church that had to cobble it together. He writes this to the big church. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed, and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? The God that supplies seeds for the sower and bread for food, He will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of righteousness. If you are faithful in giving, He is faithful to reward that faithfulness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Notice that and underline that in your copy of God's Word. Why are people wealthy that are Christians? The Bible does not preach against wealth. Why are people who are Christians also intelligent? Why are people who are Christians also capable of reasoning, of teaching, of spreading the Word of God? 
Why are people gifted in the church house? They are gifted so that they may be generous with those gifts. You aren't given gifts to hoard up to yourself. You're given gifts to put to use. You will be enriched in every way. That means your prayers, presence, service, and gifts. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be, say it church, generous on every occasion. And that through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The more people see the church at work, the more people see a church being generous, the more they see a church on mission, helping to supply the needs of the poor, helping to supply those who are desperate, the more that they will come to that church the more that gets their attention. This service that you perform is not only, underline this, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanksgiving to God. People take notice. Unbelievers take notice. Unbelievers get pointed to Christ when they see the people of God living like it. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. And for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts go out to you. Because of the surpassing grace that God has given you, thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. We owe Him so much. We owe Him so much. We owe Him for our salvation. We owe Him for our continuing sanctification. We owe Him for the generosity that keeps food on our tables, that enables us to supply for those who are in need. Give thanks in everything with a grateful heart. Let your voices lift in praise to Him always in all of life's circumstances. Knowing that the God we serve is faithful. But know this also, that He expects faithfulness from His children. To not be generous Somewhere, somewhere in our lives, in all of our lives, we either have one person or we have a small group of people that could have been disobedient to God. Someone who's come alongside us. Someone who felt the need and the calling to be generous to us in our darkest hours. Now, that could take many forms. That could be a, a, a card filled with some money that helped to get us from bill to bill. That could be someone who just sat down and gave us a hug when we were in a state of grief, not knowing that a brighter future was there on the other side. That could have been someone who saw us in the depths of sin and who had a conviction for our salvation on their heart. Somebody who heard that we had the need of the gospel and said yes when it came to bringing that gospel to us. How many of us have that hero of the faith in our lives? Give thanks to God that you do. Thanks, give thanks and praise to God that you do. The challenge of this message is to do likewise. Be generous with your prayers, your presence, your service, and your giftedness in all that that God has blessed you with. And know that when you are faithful, that He is faithful to reward you and all God's people said, 
And Heavenly Father, as we draw close to the service of the Word, we do thank You and praise You for those lights that You've put in our path, for the people who held true to the conviction that we needed mercy, that we needed a special touch of the Master's hand, that we needed the generosity that only You could provide. Thank You for providing to others that they might help us through our darkest hours. Be with us now. Teach us, encourage us, and equip us to be just as bold, to be just as courageous, and to do likewise. Not just for the sake of this house of worship, but for the sake of the community that you've planted us in to do the work of ministry. Help us to be a light in the darkness to others. And if again... If there is any in this house of worship that don't know your generosity, that haven't experienced your love, that have heard that there is a Christ, but don't know know Him personally, that don't yet have a relationship with you that they can call personal. Maybe they can claim that it's academic, but they don't know you personally. They don't know that they're a child of the King. Lord, whatever the need is, maybe it's someone who has a special prayer need that's been burdening their heart. Maybe it's someone who has felt the grip of sin and temptation and just needs to know that they can, that they are your child to rededicate themselves before you. Maybe it's someone that just needs to put aside the conviction and to pick up the gift of salvation, or someone who's been challenged with a call to the ministry that needs to lay that burden down to pick up their cross and follow you. Whatever the need is, this is the time. This is the time. Draw down the aisle any heart that needs your touch, that needs your love, and reassure them that at the end of that short walk is not judgment, is not condemnation, but is the warm embrace of the Creator ready to love them. Examine our hearts as we lift them up to you now. Bless this time of invitation. For it is in the matchless name of Christ we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Thank you for joining us at High Lawn Baptist Church. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. At High Lawn, we believe that when you love God, you share His Word. When you love others, you spread the gospel. We would love for you to join us next time, and if possible, to join us in person, to contact or learn more about us, to donate to our ongoing ministry, or most importantly, to learn about the salvation offered to you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Visit us at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. Once again, thank you, and God bless you.